everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We want to invite you to learn more about the heart and vision of City of Lights. So check out our website at cityoflights.church and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at City Lights Indie. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message. How we doing? I am glad to see all these wonderful faces this morning. I'm particularly glad to see many of you um, actually taking the analogy of the umbrella of grace to practical use in the midst of the rain and showing up and braving, braving the weather. I, I believe it's in the book of Second Opinions. It says when you do so, God loves you more when you choose to brave the elements and show up. Um, no, but uh, well, it's so good to see you here this morning. I think um, with us, uh, with myself and my wife transitioning off of a three-month sabbatical, this may be the first time this year that there's actually been the same speaker two weeks in a row. So I am not a doppelganger. I am actually the real John Owens um, here before you uh, this morning. Glad to be here. Thank you. Thank you for that shout. Um, This morning, uh, we continue in our series, Long Story Short. Um, It's been a series where we've been going through the Bible, beginning in Genesis, and looking at how all of the books contained within it are a part of one great story. For the last several weeks uh, so far in the series, the focus has been looking at the Old Testament. And I'm particularly excited today because today we're going to be unpacking and looking at how all of the Old Testament and all of the prophecy has led to this moment as we begin to look at the New Testament and we see who is the object of all the prophecy, who is the redeemer of all the people, who is the restorer of all creation. Today it will be revealed, spoiler alert, it's Jesus. I know you didn't see that coming. Um... Most people don't. That's foreshadowing. Um, Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, that you have blessed us with your presence. But Father, we thank you that you have given us your word. And I pray that this morning as we open up this word, we open up the scripture as we look at how you have revealed yourself, that you would open our eyes to see who you really are, that you would open our ears to receive your word and that it would produce something in us that would change and create and shape things in our souls that we would never be the same, Lord. I ask this morning that in your mercy that not one of us would walk out of here the same way as when we walked in. Help me to communicate your truth. Help me to speak your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Now, the concept of many individual stories being interconnected by one overarching narrative or meta narrative is not a new concept for us, right? We see this at work and in play, whether it be in literary works or movies, and, and it's it's a a way that draws us in, and many times when it comes to movies, it gets us to pay more for more tickets. Uh, One of of my all-time favorites, and I think outside of Scripture, one of the greatest of these types of stories would be the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. Any Chronicles of Narnia fans in here? You know, if you're not a C.S. Lewis fan, you need to repent. Come to the altar. We'll have a prayer team available for you and a book series when you walk out. Not really. We're not paying for that today. Um... (laughs) But there is more to the Chronicles of Narnia than just the Pevensies. Uh, There's the silver chair. There's the last battle. There's the horse and his boy. And they have these stories that they're different and they give different perspective and they give different aspects. But they're all a part of one great meta narrative, and people can argue about it online of which one you should read first and what order and, and all of that. Uh, This week, earlier this week, there was released the first trailer for the next Star Wars movie, which they're saying is going to be the end of the Skywalker saga. And for many of you, you were like, I was done a while ago. (laughs) But yet, here it is. We finally are coming to the end of this saga of, of stories and all this. But my favorite, perhaps my favorite right now in terms of movies, 
is the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Now, we're going to have a little bit of a geek leak right now. You know what I'm saying? Some pastors, sometimes you get like former NFL players that become pastors. That's not me. I know you're surprised right now. Like I knew he was an offensive lineman. No. Uh, but I, I, I love stories. I, I love art. I love comic books. And, and I really love the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So for those of you who are not familiar with this is, over the past decade, Marvel, and now, who is owned by Disney, they have released 20 movies. Mm. 20 movies that have all given different perspectives, whether it be Captain Marvel or uh, Black Panther or Iron Man, all of these characters, but they've all been connected with this overarching narrative that is going to come to a head on April 26th with Avengers Endgame. Thank you for my fellow geeks in here who are just celebrating. And what's been wild is there's never in cinematic history been this kind of an overarching narrative that has taken 20 films to build towards. And one thing that all, you, all the movie buffs and the bloggers and everything they look for and they scour for in the movies as the next one is coming up because they know they're connected some way is they're looking for Easter eggs. And they're looking at, what does this mean? Why was there cap shield in this movie? Or why was this thing in this movie? And all of these things are building up great anticipation and great angst as people wanting to know what has this all been for. And when pre-sale, for digital pre-sale for Avengers Endgame that comes out in a couple weeks, when it went on sale, it shut down movie, movie uh, internet sites and apps all over. Why? Because there's so much anticipation. I mean, I'm telling you right now, when the, when the website started shutting down, I'm convinced Marvel Studios and Disney execs were like just happy and dancing to the bank because there is so much money that's going to be spent. I mean, there were tickets going on sale at eBay for over $1,000 because people just have to be the first to see it without any spoilers. And yet, as much money as Marvel's going to make, as much money as Disney's going to make, as many people who are going to mysteriously become ill on April 26th so they can go to the urgent care centers of AMC. I'll be one of them. It's okay. I'll get healed. Uh, it pales in comparison to the great longing and yearning and anticipation that the people of God had for the coming of the Messiah. It, it, they weren't long. Yeah, well, you can clap for that. <laughs> I want you to understand, they, they, the people of God had not been waiting for five years. They, they hadn't been longing for like ten grueling years. Not, not even a century for thousands of years, longing for the answer to the fall to come. Groaning. There had been so many prophecies. Uh, theologians like to say it like this when they discuss the Scripture and the way that the Bible works together. is that the Old Testament is Christ concealed. When you look at the Old Testament as we have and you begin to look at the way things took place, not just in, you can see it from the beginning in Genesis, right at the fall, they, the, the first kind of glimpse of the gospel in chapter 3. You can see it through the development and the building of the temples and the way that God had created ways by which people could be temporarily cleansed to enter into his presence. You see it forecast as the prophets began to tell of what this Messiah would, would be like and how he would come and what he would have to do to redeem all of humanity. Uh, I want to throw up a slide here that we have that kind of just has a sampling of about eight prophetic corollaries here between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And um, you can see that all of these prophetic moments, all of these prophecies in the Old Testament had a moment in which they were fulfilled in the New Testament and revealed. And I just want to look at one of them. The third one, as a matter of fact, where it says the Messiah would be born of a virgin. Now, in Isaiah, 
Isaiah, who was one of the major prophets, we see him in the Old Testament in chapter 7, verse 14. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Then we see, when we go to the New Testament in Matthew, the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 22, it says, And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And you'll see time and time again, God was leaving little Easter eggs. He was He was giving little glimpses to to remind people of the coming hope and to confirm when he showed up, he was who he says he was. Now, a mathematics and astronomy professor, Peter W. Stoner, he made this statement that the chances of eight prophecies coming into existence, coming true by sheer chance, is is one in ten to the 17th power. So here's just a picture for you. If you were to take the state of Texas and fill the state of Texas with silver dollars and then bury them two feet deep, but you marked one of them, you would have about as good a chance to blindfold a man. If you blindfolded a man, put him out there and said, now go find the one marked is about as likely as it would be for eight of these prophecies to be fulfilled. And yet many scholars say that there are over 300 prophecies of the coming Messiah that were spoken and fulfilled in Christ. This was not just to give a foreshadowing, it was to give a confirmation that Jesus was who he said he was. He was not just some really awesome guy living his best life. I'm living my best life. I ain't going back and forth with you sinners. Thank you for the courtesy laugh. I appreciate that. He was making it known, letting you know exactly who he is. Now, I am encouraged when I look at not just the prophecies, but the fulfillment of the prophecies of Christ. He did not just say he would come. God did not just give foreshadowing and prophetic word of his coming, but he came exactly how he thought he was. Now the challenge is this, is that when Jesus came, he came fulfilling the prophecy and coming as he said he would come. But people missed him because he didn't come how we thought he would come. There was no pomp and circumstance. There was no Messiah Day parade leading up to his arrival. I am just amazed. Like, can you imagine if there was social media at the time when Jesus was being born? First of all, Mary would have been the scandal of the month, right? Everybody just blowing up feeds. Mary's girlfriends talking about, "Mm, I knew she wasn't as holy as she said she was. I mean, can you imagine just the, the scandal? It would fill every news about, not, and, it, and it wouldn't be like a real news story. It would actually be like one of those fake like TMZ joke stories. This girl says that she's pregnant and God did it. Right? All kinds of dudes talking about, I am the Messiah. This, this was a, it wasn't even less than a king. It was like less than average kind of situation. Now, for those of you, maybe you have a niece or a nephew that's been born recently or you are a parent and you have children, just imagine with me this kind of situation. Like, take a moment, put yourself mentally back then. Now, think about when you were having the baby or your cousin or your your niece or nephew was being born and think about the hospital that it happened in. Now, take away the hospital and replace it with a shack. Now, I I want you to to think about, you know, one of the things that you have, you know, you have this beautiful, you know, many times, I mean, some of these hospitals like Community North, I mean, when I went to visit my brother at Community North, like the area that they had the family, it was like a nice condo. I was like, I almost want to have another baby just so I can come hang out here for a week. Almost. Shop's closed. (laughs) 
but just replace this beautiful, clean room with a hospital bed and just replace it with a dirt floor, with groaning animals, the stench of hay. Think about the nurses and the nursing station that you have. You know, little Candace, who just graduated from nursing school and has always wanted to serve you, and replace it with a donkey. Replace it with a cow. Replace it with other barnyard animals. Take the confused and seemingly useless father and, no, no, actually, you'd probably just stay the same. You know, there's something about, like, being a dad in these moments. Like, I can empathize with Joseph because he's like, man, I, I had a dream by the angel confirming this whole situation. I mean, I'm not the father, kind of the father, but I don't even know. I don't care who, even if there wasn't an immaculate conception, the most a dad can do in these moments is you try to, like, say, you could do it, honey. And then you're like, let me know when I can do something amazing, like give you ice chips and, like, be quiet. <laughs> you know? We have one of our kids, like Kelly's mom, she made like a, a card, a, a stack of cards with confession sheets to speak the word over Kelly. And I felt so confident we were laboring. And then, you know, just the labor didn't happen the way that we thought it would. And I remember having this moment where she's laboring. I start, I'm going to get these confession sheets out. And I'm like, I start speaking the word. And Kelly looks at me, she goes, shut up. I don't want to hear your voice right now. Some of y'all just know the sweet little Kentucky queen, but she was packing that heat that day. He, he didn't come in the way that people thought he would come. He didn't come with all the pomp and circumstance. He didn't come as the conquering warrior drawing a sword and rallying all of the, uh, the rebels together to take down the oppressors. He, he didn't come as people thought he would. He came and made himself low. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, God ascends to reascend. He comes down from the heights of absolute being into time and space, down into humanity, down to the very roots and seabed of nature he had created. But he goes down to come up again and bring the ruined world up with him. He has the picture of a strong man stooping lower and lower to get himself underneath some great complicated burden. He must stoop in order to lift. He must almost disappear under the load before he incredibly straightens his back and marches off with the whole mass swaying on his shoulders. God came in the flesh in Jesus and he made himself low that he could lift us up. I want to look at this the way that John, the Apostle John, brings it to us. John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. Now, if you were a first century Jew, when John is making this statement, you would immediately be drawn in because it's a phrase that echoed within this community because of the book of Genesis, which is the first book in the Torah. They understand this concept of the beginning, and God created the heavens and the earth. But if you were Greek, you would also understand the word and the concept of the word and the impersonal principle of reason. This sense of word, the one used here, was Greek for logos. And so if you were Greek, you understood that the world was created by this, this sense of the logos. It gave order, it gave sense and reason to the universe. Logos is the Greek word for uh, word. For word. And so the secular word, world had an understanding or a concept here with what John was communicating. So he's helping draw both the Greeks, both the Jews, the secular world, the Jewish traditional world together in what he's saying. He's trying to get everybody's attention, but he understands just by drawing people in doesn't necessarily mean that they're on the same page. Y'all with me today? Say, so even as we've come and we've been drawn here, we can have lots of different perceptions of what this might mean, and so that's why we have to give clarity to it. So, you know, one of the things that we could say in a general sense in the room, I'll just kind of take a quick survey, um, would, would everyone, would you think, 
in here would everyone think that the gospel is kind of important? Yes, okay, okay, okay. Um, that's good. You can give your answer. Um, would you say that it is of little or a lot consequence? Is it very, very important? Okay. Now, we, we know that it is important. It's very important. And yet, if I were to ask you what is the gospel, many of you have never even had to articulate it for yourself. If, if I were to hand out three by five cards and have each of you write what is the gospel, there would probably be very differing responses and answers that would come back. Some of you might say, well, it's, uh, I think it's the Ten Commandments or, you know, it's a series of books. Um, it's a way, it's a way of living. It's a philosophy. It's, you know, some of you might even get like real deep and just say, it's just something I do. I don't have to say. Now, from a very just basic, practical way, the literal translation of the gospel is good news. The gospel is good news. Now, this message isn't just about, like, good news. But it's important to know, well, what is the good news? Okay? What is the good news that we are to be excited about? What is this very important good news? Well, John 1.14 says it this way. And the word became flesh and dwelled among us. The logos was made flesh. The gospel is not just a concept. The gospel is not just a set of commandments. The gospel is not a bunch of books and not just a compilation of books of different commentaries and opinions. We don't put our faith in the Ten Commandments. We don't put our faith in a set of rules. We don't put our faith in a style of worship. We put our faith in a person. Because the gospel is that God in his great love came to us through his son Jesus, the word made flesh to live the life, the sinless life that we were to live, to die the death that we deserved in our place. And three days later, he rose again, conquering sin, death, and the grave, and offering eternal life and forgiveness to all who would receive it and believe. The gospel is a person. We follow a person. We follow Jesus. Are y'all with me? You know, we can lose sight of this in a culture of syncretism where we many times reduce Christianity to a set of values or, or uninspected biblical concepts. I say uninspected because nowadays many people get their faith not by actually reading the word and understanding what the word's saying, but by hearing someone actually misquote scripture in an Instagram post. Or build an write an entire book and build an entire conference circuit over things that if you would just open the Bible for yourself and read the word, you would know that's not right. Because a lot of times what happens is people might start in Scripture, but the moment somebody actually stops following Jesus, it ain't right anymore. You with me? Y'all can respond, all right? It's okay. You have permission. I don't know what church you came from, but you can respond in this church. Okay? You say amen, oh my, don't cuss me out. All right. But I want us to understand this because you, you don't, we don't have to call ourselves the same thing. We don't have to like even worship exactly the same way. But the crux of it, the center of it, the absolutely essential, essential non-negotiable is Jesus is Lord. The scripture tells us in the Bible says in Romans 10, 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you, uh, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There is no salvation without Jesus. 
We're saved through him. In John 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, with is the preposition that we find in Scripture, in the Scripture prose, and it can mean with or it can mean toward. So we see that the preposition leads us down a path that the Logos, the Word, was in the presence of God, and yet, but it was more than that. Now, I want you guys to track with me here. The New American Commentary says there is almost the interactive reciprocity that happens between God and the Word. And we see that the Word comes and the Word is distinct, yet He is of the same essence and of the same person as God. So we see that the Word is all God, but not all of God. So if you're, we've got the playoffs, the NBA playoffs just started yesterday. Today we've got first Pacer game going against the Celtics. Go Pacers. The Lord will help us in Jesus' name. But when you look at the front of their jersey, there is a distinction between the front and the back. There's a sense that you are the same team. You are the same essence, and yet each member on the team has a very distinct attribute of themselves. They are a part of a team, and yet they also have their own identity. They work together. John 1, 1 through 2 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. The Word was. He was with God in the beginning. Was is a state of being. It is used later. We see this later in verse 6. For John the Baptist, we see that it is meant that it means came to be. We see here that it's about a state of being. Jesus didn't come to be. He already was. He was in the beginning. In fact, he was before the beginning because it said he created in the beginning. So he was before the beginning started. Have, you, have I lost you yet? The word for coming is incarnation. It is a Latin word that means flesh. God has come. He comes in the flesh. The word comes to be. He was in the beginning, but he was already before the beginning. Now, here's the thing. Many times... We think that presence is all there is. I love the presence of God. I love it. I was a worship leader for many, many, many years. I still am a worship leader. I love entering the presence of God. We love entering the presence of God. But I'm thankful that God, it wasn't enough for God to be around us or among us. It wasn't enough for him just to say, hey, I'm just going to come and I'll be around you. And I've been here. But he actually wanted to do a work in us. If we, I want to recall us back for a moment to Genesis 2, where it said when he created, he was forming man from the clay of the ground. And it said when he formed him, he breathed his life in him. And then man became a living creature. Y'all tracking with me? Is that it's not enough just to be around his presence. It's not enough to just come around churchy folk. It's not around enough just to go from this worship conference to that worship moment to this, you know, little worship gathering. God wants to do a work in you. You see, when the Word was made flesh, it wasn't the first time he was, at, he was on the scene. When you look at verse 14, it, it becomes more effective because we see the Word became flesh. He was there in the beginning, but the birth of Jesus not, did not mark the beginning of his existence. It marked the beginning of his work in the earth. When you are born, when you are born in the Spirit, when you are birthed in the Spirit, that is not the beginning of God's work around you. It's just the beginning of His work in you. You see, in Genesis 1, it says that the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. Before that, we know that the earth was without shape and void, that darkness covered it, but His Spirit and His presence was there. But it wasn't until God said, it wasn't until God spoke, let there be light, that, new, that creation was sparked. 
You see, you can be in the presence, but until the word is released in you, new creation will not happen. You can go to every church service, every youth conference, you can go to acquire the fire until like your kids are going through it. You can listen to Newsboys. Some of y'all are like two decade Newsboys fans. Some of you don't know who it is. It's okay. God spared you. You're free. You know what I'm saying? Move on to somebody else. But the point is God doesn't just want to do a work around you. He actually wants to do a work in you. Now, why is it if he told us he was going to come and if he came like he said he would, how do we miss him? As we said before, one of the ways we missed him is because he didn't come in the way that we thought he should. People were looking for a rescuer. They were looking for the Messiah. And he was that. But God was not. He didn't just, Jesus didn't just come as a rescuer. He came as a king. We have to confess that Jesus is a really awesome guy with deep pockets. No. We don't confess that Jesus is an incredible guy at helping us with fine jobs with upward mobility and great benefits. No. We confess that he's Lord. He's the boss. He's the rescuer. He's the rescuer and king. He's the Lord and Savior. And you don't get to experience the restoration and the rescue without surrender. It doesn't, he didn't look like what we wanted him to look like. We didn't want him to ask for us to actually lay our own lives down. I just want you to give me stuff, Jesus. It's like, it's amazing. I love the way, like, sometimes you would see this, this, this interaction happen in the New Testament where people would hear about free fish dinners and bread, and they would show up at 5,000. And Jesus is like, eat my flesh, drink my blood. Peace. Man, I was cool when he was feeding us, but he got a little weird at the end. I wasn't ready for that. I wouldn't try to die. I just want to eat. Isn't that the truth, though? We don't want to die. We just want to eat. We don't want to surrender. We just want benefits. He didn't just come as a really good guy. He was all man, all God victorious king you know I want to tell this little quick story so I those of you who don't know I, I'm, I'm a I, I music is a huge part of me my wife and I we've written different songs and I've written songs and led worship and had the joy of working with different artists and uh, one particular situation was an incredible God moment and at the same time it was one of the most awkward moments I've ever had in my life so my wife and I, we'd written this song for, uh, it was like our first full-length worship album that we did. And um, we were living in Tallahassee at the time. Tallahassee, Florida, if you don't know where it is, I didn't at the time. Um, I know all the CC people know because you kids have memorized all the states and capitals. Um, but uh, we were there, we were serving, and just by just a crazy God situation, I won't go into the whole thing, a international national recording artist, this gospel artist, got a hold of our album and fell in love with the first, first song on the album. And he saw that one of the people that was a part of the album was an old friend of his, and so he reached out to him, made the connect, and asked if he would, could record the song for his upcoming release, and he asked if I would come and actually be a part of the live recording with him. So I was just like ecstatic. This is amazing. It was a huge break. It was a huge opportunity. But Kelly and I would often ask ourselves, why would he do this? He's never even met me. He's never even seen me. 
right? He doesn't know, no, look, he doesn't know me from Adam. So he says, I want to record this. The recording is going to be in September. This was May at the time we're talking. And like for like two months, there was like zero communication. And I was like getting confused. You start second guessing yourself. Is this really going to happen? I don't know. I don't know if it's going to happen. Like I'm really excited about this, but it's kind of freaking me out. And so finally I touch base with them. We're organizing the flights and the hotels. And I just ask them while I'm on the phone. I have them. I say, is there anything that I need to be aware of that we need to be aware of before we come? And his next statement was very interesting. He said, well, y'all are going to be the only white people that are here. And I realized he really didn't know what I looked like. And uh, I didn't have the heart to tell him different on the phone. <laughs> so I just rolled with it. I was like, oh, praise God, praise God. <laughs> so I get off the phone. <laughs> the day comes. And uh, we get off the plane. It was, the recording was in Virginia. So we get off the plane, and we get our bags, and then we go, and there's this person, a uh, uh, real tall African-American brother. He has a big sign that says, John Owens. And uh, we walk up to him, and like, hey, man. And he just kind of looks at us like, hey, what's up? <laughs> I was like, that's me. I'm John Owens. And he looks at me and goes, you John Owens? It's like, yeah. It's like, oh, 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 okay. Well, well, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. So we get in the car, and we start talking, chopping it up, and take, go to the hotel where everybody's at, and they've got, you know, they're rehearsing and everything. And we walk in, like his whole entourage is there, his mama, his producer, everybody's there. We start walking in, and I see the guy that, that brought us, and he goes, and he whispers something to somebody's ear that looked like they were important. He goes, this is John Owens. And then, like, for a long, what seemed like the, the green mile, just as long... <laughs> We're walking, Kelly and I are walking through this corridor of people just going, it's John Owen. What? It's John Owen? That's John Owen. That's not John Owen. That's not John Owen. So finally, they take us to this ballroom. And this artist, he's got these, he's working with his dancers. They're getting ready for the whole big pomp of circumstance. And I'm standing like five, barely five feet behind homeboy. And somebody goes, hey, man, John Owen's here. He turns around and like literally, like I'm right here. Like this is him. This actually kind of looks like him too, skinny and black. Um, and he's like, where, where, where is he? And I just look at him. I'm like, I literally, this is exactly what happened. I go, it's me. I felt bad for my man because he was so, I, believe, I know, my man, he was believing I'm going to be on the cutting edge of reconciliation. He thought he was getting Chris Tomlin or like, so, you know, this, it just spoke to like how little the contemporary Christian side and the gospel side talk to each other because you could just tell people, yeah, I'm famous over here. And I'm like, okay, I believe you. I haven't listened to your record anyway. Um, but I was the one. I was the one he had been waiting for for months. I was the one that he had already invested in. But because when I showed up, I didn't look like what he thought I was going to look like, he missed me. He missed me. Some of you are, have been, God, show me a sign. Lord Jesus, please show up in my life. I'm just waiting for you to do something. And he's standing in front of you saying, I'm right here, but I don't look like what you thought. I'll put it this way. I don't look like who you thought. It's crazy how God will send your frenemy to reveal himself. I hate that. I'm like, Jesus, I know that that's true, but why is she saying it? Why did it have to come through the voice of Sister Brillo Pad? Why did it have to, why did you have to come this way? Right now, today, this moment, 
You have been crying out. You've been around the word. You've been around the presence of God. But God is saying, I am here and I'm ready to meet with you right now. Will you receive all of me? Will you receive me not just as rescuer but as Lord? And will you stop being content with just being around me and allow me to be in you? Now, this isn't just a salvation message. See, because now, one of the things that we'll say is you're a believer is you can walk around this city. Jesus, we want you to change our city. We want you to change our campuses. Jesus, do a work in our government. Lord, do, do a work in our school system. Jesus, do a, a work in my business place. And you keep missing them because he came to do a work in you so that you could reveal him in the place that you are. We've got Easter coming up next week. But even in everybody, I mean, every church in the city, every church in America, around the world, for whatever reason, people just show up. People's hearts are open. They start feeling guilty because their grandmama's been praying for them for 30 years, so they show up on Easter. But one of the, you know, we, we create different cards to, to give people, to, to give you something to hand out, to invite people. But what I've realized is, what I find so interesting is, when it comes, these cards become so hard to share with someone if the work of Jesus hasn't really taken root in your soul. But yet, I've seen a billion people sharing about Avengers Endgame this week. Why? Because something connected with them had an impact with them, and so it just pours out. If the work of Christ has been worked, if Christ is at work in you, he will flow out of you. And not only will he flow out of you, but he will actually use you to make him known. What if you not me, not Trisha, not David, not any of the typical suspects that you would think would be out there telling people about Jesus. What if you stepped beyond just being a presence in the workplace and released the word in your atmosphere? What if you surrendered and and became a conduit for the Logos in your family, on your campus, in your dorm room, in your workplace. I'll tell you what would happen. New creation would happen. New life would happen. Resurrection power would flow to places that have not been unfamiliar with just the atmosphere of churchy folks, but have been starving for the bread of life to be revealed. We're going to talk more in the coming weeks. Next week, surprise, we're going to talk about the resurrection. Subsequent weeks as we wrap up this series, we're going to talk about what does that mean? How does that work? What's the mission? What's the family that God is birthing out of this resurrection life? But today, I just want to announce and to remind to those wherever you are, make no mistake, this faith, It's not about showing up somewhere on Sunday mornings. This faith, we haven't been anticipating just another set of words to use or magic phrases to say so that we get things out of the vending machine of life. Whether we understand it or not, the one we have been waiting for 
has come. His name is Jesus. He is both Lord and Savior. And he is here not just to hang around you, but to be made alive in you. And if you're here this morning, and maybe you say, I, I know that this Logos, this Jesus, is not alive in me. Maybe you've just heard about him from friends, maybe the friends that invited you here, maybe you've heard about him just through caricatures on SNL or various spiritual talking heads, but you are tired of just hearing about, you actually want to experience him for yourself. We want to help you take that step in him. We have a space right here on the bottom of our Connect card. It's a box that says, I want to know more about a personal relationship with Jesus. If that's you this morning, I want to invite you to check that box. We want you to experience him for yourself. We don't want you just to nod your head, raise an eyebrow, sheepishly raise a hand while nobody is looking. We want to help you take this next step. But I also want to pray for the courage to take it. I want to pray that just the, the images of this caricatures of God or Jesus that you maybe have had, that God would tear them down so that you can see that he would be revealed to you. But I also want to pray for those of you in here who have given your life to Jesus. You're, you're a son and daughter of the living God. And as you've gone through life, in his mercy, the Spirit has shown you areas that the Logos needs to do some work in. There's areas of your life that are needing of the work of the new creation. And many times it's kind of like, you know, a lamp. It's like the closer you get to it, the more it reveals, the more light it shines on areas. And it's, it's not like, you know, you've been hiding necessarily, but all of a sudden God in his mercy, he's revealed it. And he's not revealed it to shame you. He's not revealed it to humiliate you. He's revealed it because he loves you. And he wants you to be fully alive in him. I want to pray for you this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your son. Fully God, fully man. Not just to walk among us, Lord, if all he had to do was walk and talk, share some great thoughts, he would not have had to die. But he did. Because the stain and the cost of our sin was great and could not be erased by a mere conversation or fish fry. You called him to live the perfect life, to fulfill the prophecy, to obey perfectly the law that none of us could, and to become our scapegoat, taking on the full brunt and weight of our sin and our shame, being made a curse for us in our place, being buried but then three days later, rising again victoriously, conquering sin, death, and the grave, offering us forgiveness of sin and eternal life, new creation. Father, I thank you for those here this morning that you've drawn to make yourself known to them. Lord, I ask that you would, even in this moment, Holy Spirit, that you would remove every false image of yourself in their minds. That you would come right now and you would deconstruct and dissolve, Lord, every caricature, every lie that has been posted up, every cardboard image of you, Lord, whether it's the angry Jesus who's here to shame and condemn or whether it's just the wimpy 
pathetic, insecure Jesus that's just happy if you just acknowledge him, kind of, sort of, but not in front of anybody. Father, I pray that you would reveal yourself right now in this moment as Lord and Savior. That you would reveal yourself for who you truly are. Lord, to those who may be far from you and those that are near to you, God, help us to see you how you desire to be seen. Draw them to you this morning. Give them the courage, Lord, to fill out a card and to, to come and bring it to Connect City Central, Lord, and to, to take the next step. Father, I pray for those in here who have taken that step and maybe have become content with just being around rather than continually hungering for, hungering for your word to be at work within. Lord, I pray for a renewed hunger for your word. Lord, I pray for a, 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 a discontent with just being mostly restored and that they would, there would be a hunger and a, a, an, insatiable, an insatiable, ravenous hunger for total transformation in our lives. And God, that you would lead us and guide us in releasing your word in us so that your word would be revealed in and through our lives. Lord, I pray for each and every one of these people in here that are going to go to home, be among their family, be among their, amongst coworkers and roommates, fellow students. Lord, I pray that you would give them the boldness to release the word that you have placed in them in the atmosphere. Lord, whatever fears try to muzzle them and shut their mouths and keep them from releasing and speaking new creation into the atmosphere, Lord, I pray that that fear would be crushed, that that insecurity, that that fear of man would be abolished, and that you would be released around the city. Lord, I pray that life, life, and more life would be awakened this week. We thank you, we praise you, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget, you can find us online at cityoflights.church and connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.